Well, I'm looking forward to walking through our teaching together series on Epiphany, walking through the book of Genesis. And welcome to those of you connected online. Glad we're in this moment together. Genesis chapter 50 is where we're going to begin. We're going to kind of walk a little bit at the back end of the story of Genesis, Joseph. And know this, it's the longest narrative in the book of Genesis. Think about all the amazing things that are taking place in the word of God in the book of Genesis. And Genesis, Joseph gets the most time. God's got something for us in the word for us today in regards to his story for us. And when, when I'm putting this message together, I'm looking forward to, and I know that, that what God has for his people in regards to forgiveness is utterly profound. But there's complexity sometimes, and sometimes things get in the way of us being able to really fully step into the kind of forgiveness that God wants us to have and to experience. And, and I just want you to see where we're going today. There, there's a series of three epiphanies. One, it's the obstacles, two epiphanies. So we'll look at that, what gets in the way, the obstacles. Second, we're going to look at God's nature. That, that the character of God is something that we need to deeply understand. And then once we understand the obstacles in God's nature, then we will be able to work through those kind of things to go, oh, well, then forgiveness is very, very natural. It's the next natural epiphany move. In Genesis chapter 50, the person of Jacob has died. Jacob would be the grandson of Abraham, and Jacob is the individual with those 12 sons who have the names of the tribes of Israel. And in fact, God would change the name of Jacob to that of Israel. So he dies. The whole family is in Egypt right now. And the brothers of Joseph have done Joseph wrong. And now they're worried that with dad gone, he's going to be vengeful and pay them back. So they say, well, dad said, well, he was alive that you should forgive us. Oh, we'll be your slaves and servants. And Joseph weeps in this moment and understand that he's weeping in this moment. And these are the words that he shares. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. Your intent was bent on evil. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't you dare be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. That's what's been going on. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Not only is that the end of the story of Joseph, that is the end of the book of Genesis. So as we hear the end of the story of Joseph, we are also hearing the end of the profound book of Genesis. And what's Genesis been about? We've got, watched God work in the creation of the world. And then sin and rebellion enter and everything goes awry. It's broken. It's fallen. It doesn't work. God, why, why didn't God thwart sin from the very beginning and never even let it happen? Why do we live with such suffering and such evil? And by the way, Joseph is experiencing all this malu and dilemma in his life. He goes through all kinds of junk. But we find in the Joseph story, oh, evil cannot triumph. 
we find that God will prevail. We find that blessing will prevail. We find that obstacles will melt away. God is revealing he's got this, he's got you. Do you know why Satan's always in a bad way? Well, there's the rebellion issue. This, this amazing fallen angel rebels against God. But Satan is so utterly frustrated because every time the enemy thinks, well, here's a devious, clever, mischievous plan that's really gonna mess things up. You know what happens? God can take that and God can make good come from that. God can bring your righteousness out of those kind of situations. And we, we ourselves have the great freedom to rebel, uh, to do evil if we choose. That's why when some of you send your children off to school, there's, there's, there's like, oh Lord, they're so smart and they're so naughty. Oh my goodness. Oh, 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 bless that teacher's taking those cute little sinners. Oh my word. And we, we, we say, use your powers for good. Use your, and, and to say, we have freedom to do some heinous things. But then God has freedom to create goodness out of the, out of the junk that we put out there if God so chooses and God does. You're looking at a picture of Gary Kasparov, longtime chess grandmaster champion, and you're watching him lose to Deep Blue, the computer. They had a series of matches and the longer they played, the better Deep Blue got and Kasparov couldn't win anymore. Kasparov's IQ is 190, by the way, and he stopped playing Deep Blue. Uh, for us, I'll just put it, in our lives, it's like us playing computers, playing chess against a computer when we try to do, when we try to do really stupid, stupid things and God just go, oh, that's a, that's a stupid move. I can, you know, the computer can take that. Or, or we make a, a really clever move playing chess against the computer and the computer go, oh yeah, oh, I can make that work too. And we make another really clever move. Oh, I can make that work. I can, you know, the, the computer can always make it work for its advantage. And I'm not saying that God is so mechanical that every decision is just already done and already laid. But God is so perfect in God's wisdom. God can work all things together for good for those who put their hope and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. And so when Joseph says what all you all meant for evil, God intended it for good is very, very true. And the devil must be completely flummoxed because God wins every stinking time. In the story of Joseph, we go through these different scenes. The first one we'll look at is this dream kind of scene where Joseph's father gives him this coat of honor, which means the blessing, the favor is upon you. He's 11th of 12 sons, the first born to his favored wife. And Joseph begins to tell his brothers of his dreams. Now, now know this, that when dreams come in pairs, it is believed in that area that, oh, you get a couple of dreams, that's from the divine. And you'll notice that Joseph gets two dreams and Pharaoh gets two dreams. And while Joseph is in prison, uh, the butler gets a dream and the, the baker gets a dream. They each get it's like, oh, so they, they're coming in pairs. Well, he now tells his brothers a dream. Hey, we were all out 
in the fields binding sheaves of grain, and yours were pretty scrawny and puny, and mine was pretty, pretty substantial, and yours all bowed to mine. What do you know about that? Hey, boys, had another dream. Had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, they bowed down to me. Hey, I got some good dreams, don't I? Uh, and his brothers, you really think, you really, you, 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 you little snot, you really think that your mom and dad and us brothers are going to wind up bowing down to you someday. It's one thing for God to give Joseph those dreams. It's another thing for Joseph to go blabble them to his brothers in that way. And when we catch the heart of Joseph, it appears that Joseph is doing this. Joseph is trying to create envy and covetousness. I got something you don't got. And, and he wants them to want. He wants them to be envious. And boy, howdy, are they ever envious. And then we come to this dark scene, the scene of betrayal. And it's as if the, the brothers of Joseph have said, Joseph and his crazy dreams should really disappear. They should just go away. And they're going to make Joseph go away. So they take him and they're going to, they, they wind up selling him to a band of Ishmaelites and Midianites who were passing through. They'd stuffed him down in a well and in a cistern. By the way, the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, they're kind of cousin clans. They would be familiar with Jacob's sons. It seems to be what's going down right now. As we know the pathways of how stories play out, there's, there's, three groups of people right now. And if we see the pathway of Joseph's story, who's been abandoned, uh, abused, and betrayed, the pathway to that story leads to a really bitter, difficult kind of life. We go, if that's going to play out how we think it's going to play out, he's in a bad way. And then we look at the brothers, deceptive, vengeful. Their agendas are incredibly self-centered, well, their world's, that pathway, just their world's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. That doesn't play out well. Then we think about their father, Jacob, who lost a beloved son because they tell him he passed away in some unfortunate kind of accident out in the wilderness. And he's lost someone he dearly loves. And then this life that could be of mourning and loss while he's being perceived. And we go, that pathway doesn't lead well either. Then, just by the way, God's not done with this yet. There's this odd break in the story. That was Genesis chapter 37. And then we get this really odd break in Genesis chapter 38. It talks about the fourth son of Jacob. His name is Judah, his couple of sons, and one of the wives of his sons, whose name is Tamar. Uh, and it's just this. You could make a dramatic miniseries out of this story. It was really, really some, some, something's going on there. But just to say that, there's a break. And what happens in the book of Genesis so often, you get a few sons and you go, oh, well, this one's going to really kind of walk in covenant relationship with God. And ooh, it looks like this one is not. So you've seen that happen with Ishmael. We've seen that happen with Esau. We've even seen it happen somewhat with nephew Lot that all of a sudden they kind of, oh, yeah, we're not going to really follow their storyline anymore. They're not really walking in covenant with God. We think that's going to happen to Joseph now. All right, boys and girls, for those of you who remember what a commercial break is, and we're back. 
to the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. We, we hear this 38 thing, and it's almost like, you know, you think God's not done with him yet. God is not finished. But we're beginning to see what the obstacles are in regards to our covenant walk with God. Now, we're saying that they're common recurring obstacles, and they're common and recurring in the life of Joseph and his family, and they all wind up being character issues. Now, your common recurring obstacles might be different than what Joseph's family is. His were, they played favorites from one generation to the next. We've seen it for four generations. They play favorites and it gets them in a world of trouble. We've also seen it when they get in a pickle, when they get in a bind, they are deceptive, manipulative. They're a bunch of little liars. So they're a bunch of little liars and they play favorites. And we see the mess that it gets them in and their character issues that need to be addressed. Now, we're going to go from the pit to the palace in regards to Joseph. So he's in this well. He's in this cistern. And I don't know if this is the politically correct way to say it or not, but his brothers had been debating on taking his life to get rid of him. And by the way, uh, the brothers are these wounded individuals. Their fathers played favorites and they're not the favorite. And Joseph has thrown things in their faces. And there is a great tendency that hurt people will hurt people. So they're going to go hurt Joseph because they feel this stuff. And they don't, they don't need the money. They're actually pretty well to do. They're, they're in a shepherding ranching business. They sell him for the amount of money as, as a common individual would be sold in that day and age to this cousin clan traveling by. They didn't need the money. They wanted to get rid of him. And now he goes from the pit and he goes to an individual named Potiphar's home. Potiphar is the captain of the guard of Pharaoh's household. He's like the secret service agent bigwig. Here's what it says. I want you to note the repetitive things that happen in the next two eras of Joseph while he's in Potiphar's home and when he goes to the prison. The Lord was with Joseph, prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his Egyptian master saw that the Lord was with him, the Lord gave him success in everything he did. And Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household and he trusted everything to his care. And he goes on to say, he didn't even worry about anything except what he had to eat. And then there's this potential escapade with naughty, naughty Mrs. Potiphar, who's trying to, who's trying to get Joseph to get into shenanigans. And Joseph says, I'm not going to do shenanigans with you, Mrs. Potiphar. And then she says, Joseph is having shenanigans with her. And she announces it very loudly. But Potiphar obviously doesn't fully believe that or else he would have, Joseph would have offed with his head in that moment. Instead, he puts him in the king's prison. And we catch up with Joseph in the king's prison. Watch the repetitive nature. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And the warden put Joseph in charge of everything. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with him and gave him success in everything he did. Friend, you might think you're in a pit. You might think you're in some foreign land. You might think you're imprisoned in some kind of way. But Joseph had to go to Potiphar's home and he managed and ran that estate. He manages and runs the estate. He then goes to prison and God now entrusts him to administrate an entire prison system. 
He needed to manage the estate and he needed to administrate the prison system because his next assignment was going to be to run an entire nation. And so the whole while, God is with him. Friends, God is with you. I know not what pit you're in right now, but I want you to know this, that God is at work and God is with you and whatever evil intent you might have think has put you in some kind of situation, in some kind of atmosphere, God is still at work in your life. This is so utterly important and profound. Would you take time? The person next to you needs to really hear this. So would you say to the person next to you, God is not finished with you yet. Will you say that? God is not finished with you yet. Good job. Well, I like cake. I had a hankering for cake the other day. They're $9.99 at Family Fair, I found out, for a carrot cake. So these are the ingredients of a carrot cake that you're going to see. And if you were to take all the different ingredients of a cake, you get flour and you get sugar and you get baking powder, you get some eggs. If you were to, some brown sugar and whatnot, if you were to eat those individually, if you were to look at that, you just go, if you start bowing down on those, you wouldn't want to eat those individually because some, there's, some of them are just so bland. There's a lot of bland stuff. There's a lot of things that are incredibly distasteful when you take that singular ingredient. And there's some things that are really sweet. You know what God does? God is a great creator. God is at work in your life. God is taking all kinds of bland things that you just kind of stick with and do them faithfully. God is taking some really nasty, distasteful things in your midst, and God's taking some sweet stuff, and God is putting that together. And then, and then, then you're going to go in the fire. Then you go in the fire. Then, then you put those ingredients in, and God, God, God's holy drive will burn in your life. And you know what? You come out beautiful and delicious. God is up to something in your life. So Joseph is in prison and he's interpreted dreams and he's asked the Butler, whose dream he interpreted and said he's going to have freedom to remember me when you get back to Pharaoh. He didn't remember him. And you may feel like that, that you're not remembered. But then the time came that Pharaoh had some crazy dreams and the butler remembered and he has an audience with Pharaoh. Joseph interprets those dreams for Pharaoh and now Pharaoh has put him. It's this thing like, we're going to have seven years of great harvest, followed by seven years of great famine. And then Joseph even plants the seed. Oh, if there was just only really someone with great wisdom who would know how to take care of things. And, uh, you know, and uh, he's kind of putting his resume out. And Pharaoh goes, Joe, that's you. We're going to put you in charge. And the same thing happens again. With Joseph running the country, Pharaoh didn't really worry about a whole lot. And now we get to this scene with an incredible, ironic plot twist where there's a testing going on. The brothers also experience famine where they're living. They travel down to Egypt because Egypt has plenty. Joseph is the one who negotiates with these foreign clans that are coming down to purchase food. And he sees his brothers. They don't recognize him because he's in the garb of the Egyptians. And you begin to think that he's disguised as an Egyptian, that the Egyptians have disguised him. But really, he, 
he's being marked by with the clothing and the characteristics of the Lord God Almighty. And now what Joseph wants to do, he goes to great trouble to recreate the abandonment scene that he experienced. His younger brother, Benjamin, who would obviously be the favorite of his father, Jacob, is not on this trip. So 10 of his brothers are. He says, you're a bunch of liars. I think you're a bunch of spies. He has him tell him about the family. He says, tell you what, so I know that you're not liars and spies. I'm going to sell you some grain now, but really not quite so much. Simeon is going to stay here and he's collateral. The next time you come back, you bring younger brother Benjamin with you and then we'll do some business again. And even stuff the gold back in their bags, kind of wigs them out when they understand that. Jacob doesn't want his youngest son, Benjamin, to go on that trip, but eventually they run out of food and they send Benjamin back down again. And now there's this incredible ruse that takes place. Not only is the gold put back with all the grain, but, but Joseph's favorite silver goblet is placed in Benjamin's sack. And then it's the thief, thief, thief. And we're going to throw him in jail. You're never going to see him anymore. And as this testing dynamic takes place, the brothers start to stand in front of their younger brother, Benjamin, who would obviously be the favored son of their father, Jacob, who would very much be, have the spirit of Joseph upon him. And they go, oh Lord, not him, take me. They get in the way and they beg and they plead. And Joseph sees that God has been up to something in their lives. The epiphanies of God's nature become apparent right now. This story isn't fully a story about how does Joseph do and handle things because there is a measure of that. But even more so, what is God up to? God is the character builder. God is the one who is at work right now and God is indicating, throw that up on the screen, please, thanks. God is the one who is indicating that the brothers have been changed. Not only have the brothers been changed, but we see in Joseph's heart that Joseph is the one that he used to think that the dreams were all about people bowing down to him and his brothers are bowing down to him, but he realizes that the dreams that God has placed in my life are about saving many lives and that God works all things for good. So when we understand this, when we understand that there are these common obstacles, that we've got stuff in our life that needs to be dealt with, and other people have stuff in their life that, that are these character issues, we are going to hurt and wound one another. We are going to do stupid things. That is going to take place. And God is going to work on building character in all of our lives. And God can work all things together for good. So thus, then the epiphany for forgiveness looks like this. We need to receive God's forgiveness, and we need to learn how to extend forgiveness to other people. It should be very natural when we understand what God has done for us, and that God is at work for good. And it is inevitable that we're going to have to deal with these kind of things. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, forgive me. Forgive my trespasses. Forgive my debts as I forgive those who have debts and trespasses against me. A lengthy discourse in the parable of what is known as the unmerciful servant, shares that this servant had this debt that was, Jesus says, like a bazillion dollars, this ridiculous fund, and a master forgives it. It's just crazy. And then that same servant, who another servant owes him 40 bucks, 200 bucks roughly, pay me back what you owe me, and he begins to choke him. It's like, 
And what that unmerciful servant had asked before his Lord and master, please give me more time. I'll pay you back. I'll pay. He never, we, can never, we can never pay back things before God. Freely we have received from God. Freely we should be giving to others. Sometimes we just don't feel forgiven ourselves. Receive the grace that God gives and thus it will overflow and you can extend that to other people. Let me tell you what forgiveness is and forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying, ah, it didn't matter. Forgiveness is not saying, ah, it didn't hurt me anyway. Forgiveness is not saying, must have been my fault. Forgiveness is not any of those things. Forgiveness is naming what, saying, you meant that for evil. That was wrong. Identify what it is. Identify what the debt is. And then you say, you don't owe me that debt anymore. Uh, I love going to Culver's. I am so glad there's a Culver's within about a mile and a quarter of my home. I'm thankful for Culver's. I like the fish dinner, the one-piece fish dinner. And if I go through the drive-thru and ask for the one-piece fish dinner, it seems inevitably so that there are two packets that I'm looking forward to getting, a packet of tartar sauce and a packet of coleslaw. I only seem to get one packet I went there twice this week. I'm down one packet of tartar sauce and I'm down one packet of coleslaw. The second time I went there this week, after I'd extended forgiveness to my friends at Culver's because they're so friendly and so good, uh, they make such yummy food, that I had bought one root beer to share with the family at home. I got, I got the goblets out, pour the root beer. It's gonna, it just fills up those goblets just right. I went, oh, this looks a little different. Maybe it's diet or like a cream root beer this time. And I take a taste of it and there's a spit take. It was the carbonated water was what it was. I'm down several packets of tartar sauce, several packets of coleslaw, and now one root beer. But uh, I will need to forgive them uh, if I move forward. Okay. You need to identify the real things with real people in your life. For Joseph, he lost his young adult years with his family. He lost the familiarity of home and his tent. He lost the relationship with his dad. Sometimes the things that we identify are so big, but we need to say, friends, they can't go, there's no time machines. They can't go back in a time machine, even if they want to, and undid what they did. Can't do it. So for you to be released from the bondage, from the pit, from the prison of unforgiveness is where you want to be. Evil cannot triumph. God prevails. Obstacles will melt away. Blessing will prevail. God wins every time. And when God wins, you do as well. Would you stand? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to invite the musicians to come out. And I want to invite you to take a certain posture as we pray. And we'll pray about this dynamic of forgiveness. And the first posture is if you would simply just extend your hands to receive, that you will receive God's grace that you receive God's amazing grace. And in the middle of this prayer, we'll kind of close it up to say, I'm really taking hold of this. And then we will identify who we need to extend grace to.
forgiveness, and then we extend to whom God has placed upon our heart. Let's pray. Let's receive.